0: Unfortunately, there were some technical problems, and the audio for this message is pretty lousy. But it's also so powerful that we hope you'll listen carefully and be blessed. Here's Pastor David.
1: Did you know that every single Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, every single one of you is a missionary? You go, well, okay, what is a missionary? Well, let's look at the dictionary definition, dictionary.com. I'm too lazy to use paper. Uh, says a missionary. One is a person sent by a church into an area to carry on evangelism or other activities as educational or hospital. That's the one that we're used to, right? There's a missionary. they are kind of a professional missionary. They're they're paid. They go to another country. They they live there. And they preach the gospel and so on. The second one is a person strongly in favor of a program, set of principles, etc., who attempts to persuade or convert others. That can be really anybody. A salesman, a lawyer, you know, somebody who's really into something and tries to persuade other people. But the third one is a person who is sent on a mission. A person who is sent on a mission, and that one applies to every single person who is chosen to follow Christ. You've been sent on a mission. We've been sent on a mission. Matthew 28 18 through 20, you know the passage well, we've read it many times. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He says, go. Go. This is what Jesus is commanding. There's no ambiguity. He doesn't leave room. There's nothing for you to be confused about. He says, go. I've got the authority. It's been given to me. All the authority. I'm putting you out there. I'm putting my stamp on you. And I'm saying, go. You have a mission. You have something to accomplish on this earth. Go and make disciples. Don't sit there. Move. Make disciples for Christ. This is called the Great Commission. It's It's the mission of every single Christ follower ever. Paul and Timothy and Silas, who I've been reading this letter from, they were living out their lives as missionaries, right? They were on a mission. They had traveled to the city of Thessalonica in the northern section of Greece, which is called Macedonia, and they had ministered there, and then they had, had to leave because of persecution and, and, and some things that came up, and so now they're writing a letter back. And that's the letter this epistle letter that we're reading to the Thessalonians. We begin last week to study and walk through Thessalonians and this is a letter that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to the people of Thessalonica. We're now in chapter two and if you have your Bible or not there should be some in the chairs behind you if you want one of those. They'll also be up on the screen but if you want some paper in front of you uh, go ahead and grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home or you don't own one, feel free to take one of those Bibles in the back of the chair and take it home with you. That's our gift to you. Um, So here we go. Verse 1 says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. The first part of that is where I'm going to just stop for a second. For you yourselves know. Now, Paul's going to spend a decent amount of time in this whole letter saying things like this. You know this thing. You yourselves know. He's reminded them of what they've already been taught or what they've already seen of Paul and Timothy and Silas while they were there. He's reminding them, right? It's a normal thing in moral instruction in the ancient world to remind your readers or your hearers of what they already have learned, what they already know, what they already have remembered, right? And you understand it because you all have kids, right? For those of you who do. And I can't think of anything past about the age of three. That was new information that I had to tell them. Like, okay, no, you don't touch that either. They do. By the time they were this, it was all reminding, right? I told you not to do that. You know better than doing that, right? You probably heard this or said this. You probably have never heard it, but you probably said this, right? To somebody. You know better than that, right? Remember what I told you? And my dad, the one who used all that, I told you once, I told you a thousand times. And he told me that. T- he didn't tell me the other things, but that he told me a thousand times, right? <laughs> we're called to remember the things that we were taught, and often, for some reason, we actually do forget. For some reason, we forget. It's easy to forget. We come to church, a pastor talks for a while, sometimes for way too long, or at least that's what I've been told most by to my kids. If they've, if they've told me once, they've told me a thousand times. Um, that is too long, but we get a lot of information, right? There's a lot of information coming in to our heads and our hearts. We get a lot of instruction. So how do we remember what is important? How do we remember what is important? Repetition. Repetition. Paul here is saying, you know. You know. He'll see things like, you already know her. You remember as he goes through this. He's telling them, I've taught you this before, or you've seen this before, or whatever, but what I'm telling you again. Now watch. If they already know and they already remember, why say it again? Why say it to them again? Because repetition is important. You have to be reminded. You have to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the truth all the time if we want to live it. If you want to live in the truth, you have to be reminded of it all the time. Do you know how much less stressful and difficult my life would be if I would sometimes remember to stop and breathe and pray before I freak out? (laughs) <laughs> just remember right, just if I could just remember how much anxiety and mental pain I would avoid, if I could simply remember what I already know about how much Jesus Christ loves me about how, who I am in him, if I could just remember if I could just sit there before the stress comes remember that I'm enough in him, I don't need the approval of other people, all these things that we go through, that we walk through in life and, and later we're like you know, I feel so bad that somebody's like, oh yeah, well you already know, remember, Jesus loves you, remember, he cares about you and you're like, oh yeah, remember that somehow somehow, when it comes down to it, if we haven't done enough repetition we don't remember see, I know lots of things, I preach about them all the time, but I'll be honest I don't always remember them when I need the most when I need the most so I have to have repetition. That's why we do things like reading through the scripture in a year. That's why we do all the things that we do, right? We have to have repetition, repetition. I have to go over it and over it. Have you ever played a sport or um, been like a play or played an instrument? You're very familiar with repetition, right? You've got to run those plays over and over again, right? You've got to practice that backhand, right, Randy? Tennis guy, that's right. (laughs) That backhand over and over again. Why? Why do you have to practice it over and over again because when the other person hits it and that tennis ball is coming at 95 miles an hour, you don't have time to say, is the angle of my elbow in the right spot? It's gone by then, right? It's gone by then. If you want to be ready in the heat of the battle, you better have done your repetition beforehand. Now, of course, that assumes that your repetitions are quality. For instance, I have a lot of repetitions with a golf club, but most of those repetitions are blocking the golf ball into the trees so that's really what I've learned to do well and I do that really well here we see the importance of bringing back to remembrance remembrance. that which they are do. we need to constantly remember we need to constantly have repetitions of the truth to be ready for the warfare the spiritual warfare and the other things we face day to day if you have the other repetitions it's not coming back to your remembrance if you're constantly in the Word if you're constantly here on Sundays, if you're constantly at life group, men's group, women's group, recovery group, going with the church to Honduras, doing those things, you're constantly getting good teaching, you're constantly praying, you're constantly doing those things, repetition, 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 then when it gets hot, you're ready. Right? You're ready. But if you're constantly, if your repetition is primarily watching reruns of parks and rec, your spiritual Readiness is weak. You're going to be fat and lazy spiritually. Right? And when the things come, what you put your time into is what you're going to be ready for. So if you haven't done the repetitions, you can't expect to be ready when the things get hot, when the battle gets tough. Because you haven't done it. Remember when Jesus was facing the devil who came to tempt him? After he said, Not eat for 40 days, remember Jesus was all man. Okay? I go without eating for 40 minutes and it's rough. Like by the time I get down from here, usually you see me going pretty fast, I'm headed for something, right? 50 minutes or whatever. No. It's tough. 40 days. So he's weak. Weak. And the devil comes after him. So the battle is on. Because he's all man. So he's got to deal with the physical limitations of his body. And Satan's coming. Hey, why don't you make you bread? And he's ready with scripture. Why? Repetition. Remembrance. He knew the word because he was in it. Because he loved God. Because he was. God, repetition, remembrance, and he was ready. When the battle got tough, what happened? Satan had to go. He, had to he, couldn't, he couldn't hang with Jesus even, in Jesus, even when Jesus had become a man and fully man and was fully weak because he had repetition. Remember the power of God, nothing could stand against it. That's true for you too. So you need to be ready. Young people, don't cozy up with your boyfriend or girlfriend on the couch with the lights out and put the movie on and expect Remember the wisdom that you have been taught. Remember what the Lord has taught you. Use your brain, repetition, get in the Proverbs, this is what's good, this is what's good. Stay out of it until after your marriage. <laughs> Adults, older people, when you get that bill in the mail and the number in your bank account is smaller than the number on that invoice, such so as Canada, before you spiral, Before you freak out, remember who you are in Christ. Remember that God loves you. Remember that he's brought you up to here and that he will surely take you to where he needs you to go. Remember those things. Don't get lost in the stress of life. Be ready when the battle is tough. Repetition equals remembrance, if you will. Do the repetition in the Word, at church, with your friends, good counselors, life groups, all the things that need to be there. Prayer, meditation on the word, you'll remember. Repetition equals remembrance. And we need to do that. We need to do that. Okay, let's look at the next part of verse one. It says, For you know, for you yourselves know, brother, that our coming to you was not in vain. Our coming to you was not in vain. Now, Paul seems to be beginning. Kind of defense of sorts, right? This is this is not what happened. This is this is not what happened. This is not this bad thing didn't happen. You're starting this defense, and you'll see it as we walk through uh, chapter two. This first part of chapter two, you really see what looks like an apologetic, which is a defense of Paul's behavior and motives and things like that. And we're going to see over these verses that's what's going on here. But some would wonder whether this is a defense or whether this is something else, right? Because we don't know that someone had actually accused Paul of anything specific. It doesn't say, we were accused of this, but this isn't true. Instead, we just sort of see this defense come out, we wonder. But if you remember, last, last week, if you were here, we studied uh, chapter 1, and we went back to Acts 17 when Paul and Silas, they were in Thessalonica, and they had to leave very quickly. The people didn't get that much teaching before they had to roll. Because the persecution was, was coming hot and it would have been bad for the rest of the church and bad for Paul and Silas if they had not rolled out of Thessalonica. And I wonder if to some extent he feels like he needs to answer why he left so that people, some of whom might have felt somewhat abandoned, didn't feel like they weren't legit. They weren't serious about what they did. So that could be part of it. But the other part that's really going on here is Paul is, is taking this time, and you'll see it more clearly, to make a distinction, a distinction between Paul and Silas and Timothy and the other missionaries. Now you may be asking, wait a second, I remember Acts 16, Acts 17, the church of Thessalonica, I don't remember there being any other missionaries there. It was Paul, Silas, and Timothy, right? But there were remember I said to you earlier that every Christ follower is a missionary. But that doesn't mean that only Christ followers are missionaries. Not only Christ followers are missionaries. Back then, there were all kinds of people who would come into town and preach the philosophy of this or that or the religion of this or that. They would try to sell their ideas, basically, and gain disciples. That would go on constantly. No TV, right? So that would go on constantly in the ancient world. But you should probably be recognizing the missionaries that exist in your world right now. There are actually many missionaries that exist in your world right now. And I'm not talking about the nice Mormon boys with the ties and the bicycles that come to your cool. house, although they are missionaries. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about every single politician, every company, every documentary filmmaker, every book writer, every movie and show maker. Everybody who's doing anything to put content out into the world is a missionary. They're on a mission to convert you to something. To something. They're trying to convert you to a voter, or convert you to their policies, or convert you to a buyer of their goods, or a believer in their philosophies, whatever it is. They're just a consumer of their stuff, whatever it is. All, all of them are missionaries. Not all of it's necessarily bad. All of you, in fact, have probably been missionaries for some things besides just Jesus, right? If you've been a salesperson, if that was your job, you were at some level a missionary. in that second definition you read earlier, right? You've tried to convert people into believing in your product so they would buy it. That's what you did as a salesperson. I've noticed there's a number of essential oils missionaries in the body. A number of $5 jewelry missionaries in the body, in our midst here. You might be missionaries for some things, right? You're missionaries for things all the time. Most of them are relatively unimportant, and they're neutral spiritually, right? There's things we like. We try to talk to people about it. But sometimes we need to look closely at our missions work. Because if you spent more time in the last week trying to be a missionary for getting people to watch today's episode of This Is Us, if you spent more time on that than you have trying to tell people about Jesus Christ, then there may be a priority problem in your missions work. If your primary mission that you have in life as a Christ follower is to follow Christ and make disciples for him, but the thing you actually do more is all this other stuff, then there may be a problem. Not because there's anything wrong with you saying, I really like this show, whatever it is, never seen This Is Us, but I really like this show, you should watch it, it's really good. Not anything necessarily wrong with that, except if that's all you do. Except if that's all you do, right? But that time and this time, we've always had mission hours, right? The Apostle Paul was very aware of these other missionaries and what they were like and what their motives were like. He knew what their motives were like and he was going to make a distinction between a Christ follower missionary and these missionaries who were peddlers of false philosophies. False philosophy. So we read that their coming to the Thessalonians was not in vain, it was not a failure. It was not a failure. In the last chapter we read in verse 5, it said uh, it, it did not come to Thessalonians in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Right? It wasn't vain. It came in power. It came with the Holy Spirit. It was legit. And we're telling you that. Even though they faced persecution, even though they faced affliction, the gospel was not preached in vain. Even with all that affliction and persecution, it did not fail. Persecution had not stamped out the gospel in Thessalonica, it was not in vain, right? Just like it has not stamped out the gospel in China, or North Korea, or any number of other places where they try to stamp out the gospel, right? The gospel does not fail. The gospel does not fail. In the late 1800s, there was a guy, named Robert Ingersoll, who was a lawyer, and this is what he said. He said, today the intelligence of the world denies the miraculous." Ignorance is the soil of the supernatural. The foundation of Christianity has crumbled, has disappeared, and the entire fabric must fall. The natural is true. The miraculous is false. Now, you would think that a guy with that much certainty that Christianity was over, this was back in the late 1800s. Christianity is over, right? It's the people who are smart, they, they all know that it's not true. It's failed. The fabric has gone away. You think that by now, if he was right, every intelligent person would be laughing at Christianity right now, but here we all are, right? The church is, is still strong. In fact, the intellectual tradition of Christianity is stronger or better now than it probably has ever been. There are believers, Christ followers in the sciences and philosophy and most of the disciplines that are out there, they're in the laboratories, they're in the universities. This guy was wrong. He was wrong. He ridiculed and persecuted Christianity, saying that it was stupid, and it would go away, but he was wrong about that. And why? Because the gospel never failed. The people of Thessalonica couldn't get rid of it, and the people who have tried in our time to get rid of it can't get rid of it. For some reason, intelligent, thoughtful, loving, caring, just, moral people continue to be popping out of the church at at, at big numbers all over the world, not just here. In fact, primarily all, because it's real. Because it's real. The gospel is not ever preached in vain, and that's what Paul is saying here. The gospel does not fail, and no amount of ridicule or persecution will ever make it fail. Will ever make it fail. In the time that this epistle was written, the Thessalonians, there were lots of people who were coming saying, Hey, we've got the answers to life's questions. We can, just think of the title of any self help book you can think of. It. They were basically selling that same. Right? We can solve your problems. We have the ideas. We have the philosophies that can make you better. But their motives were not pure. It was about money, or it was about power, or it was about influence. It was about other things. And so what happens is they come in, they do this stuff, and then their philosophies would turn out to be nothing. It would be in vain. And so Paul's saying, ours was not in vain. He's making the distinction to himself. And what they would have known of all these other philosophers and people who came into town peddling self-help and turning out to be nothing because their motives were impure. They were failures. They were failures. And here we see Paul making a distinction between the Christ follower and missionary and these others. Our coming to you was not in vain. In verse 2, it says this, but even after we had suffered before, and we're spitefully treated, Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Even after we suffered, right? Even after suffered, we had suffered, we're spitefully treated. We were bold in God, and we spoke the gospel to you. Now, in Acts chapter 16, you can go back and read what happened to Paul and Silas when they were in Philippi, right before they had come to Thessalonica. And basically what happened is they were stripped And beaten with rods and then put in prison into the inner prison. And there's a bunch more very cool stuff that happens in the rest of that story. You should should go back and read it or listen to the message that we did on Acts 16 um, and get some of that. It was very cool. But one of the things is, is that they were incredibly disrespected, shamed, embarrassed. Really, really, really embarrassed by what happened. I mean, just imagine people just taking, you know, stripping your clothes off and beating the tar out of you with sticks in front of everybody. It's embarrassing. I don't know it hasn't happened to me yet, but it's embarrassing. And here's the thing. Many people are more concerned about being embarrassed in front of people than they are concerned about being physically injured. Many people would rather take a physical injury than be embarrassed in front of people. For Paul and Silas, I don't know what was worse, the beating their body took or the embarrassment they had to face, the shame, the ridicule. It's tough if you've ever been ridiculed, if you've ever dealt with embarrassment. You understand why people are afraid. It's a fearful thing. We don't want to be embarrassed. And we would make a mistake if we were not to take very seriously the part of this verse that's talking about Being embarrassed, right? Spitefully treated—that's talking about being embarrassed. That's talking about the fact that they embarrassed them, they insulted them. You got to take that seriously because how many of us have let embarrassment or fear of other people keep us from sharing the gospel or standing up for what is right in different
0: situations? I have. I think we all have worrying about being embarrassed or what other people think is probably the biggest reason we don't share our faith the way we should. But Paul didn't back down, and you'll want to be sure and listen to our next episode. Remember that we're here for you, and if you have questions about all this or anything in faith, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us at Acts Church this Sunday morning. ActsChurchNW.org has all the info, And we hope to meet you soon. Thanks for listening. And we'll look for you right here next time on Contemplate.